0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Exodus how God was coming down to deliver the Israelites out of bondage in Egypt, and how the Lord Jesus Christ would come down later to deliver us all out of bondage. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Hello, I'd like to welcome you again today as we continue in the study of this wonderful book of Exodus. Let's look to God first in prayer. Father, thank you so much for taking the time to write down, Lord, things that we need so desperately to know about you, who you are, who we need to be. Help us, Lord, to glean this as we study today in the book of Exodus, in Jesus' name, amen. Now. If you follow along here, just to get the context, or read again the text here, and uh, we'll I'll start this time with uh, verse 4 of Exodus 3, Exodus 3, verse 4, and when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I, and he said, draw not nigh hither, put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land, and unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Okay, now, as we've looked in the past here, it's particularly focusing in on verse 8, where God said, I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large There are two very important words that we need to focus in on in Exodus 3.8. And those are the words, come down. Come down, God said, I am come down. And he said, why? He said he's come down to deliver them out of what? The hand of the Egyptians. What for? To bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large. He describes it, a land that's flowing with milk and honey He says that right now it's being occupied by the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, but that's the land that God had in mind for them to go to. But with those two words, come down, we can see how Jehovah, the Lord here, the Jehovah saw what he was doing to deliver them. It was a process, and he described that process as coming down. He was descending from heaven to earth, and that's how he saw himself. When he looked at himself, he said, I am coming down, or I am come down to deliver them. So now, with those in mind, we'll now fast forward over 1,000 years into the future there from that point, and the same person, the very same person is speaking. But there's one difference now as this person speaks. And that difference is that now, over 1,000 years later, that same person, who's that person? The eternal Jehovah, he now has been made flesh. As it says in John 1:12. the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's over a thousand years since he spoke these words to Moses of, I am come down to deliver. And now he's the same person. He's the eternal Jehovah. But what's happened now is that he has made himself of no reputation. As it says in Philippians 2, 7, speaking of the great staircase that the Lord Jesus Christ walked down from heaven. And one of those steps was he made himself of no reputation. And it also says in Philippians 2, 7, and again, 1,000 years later, it says that the eternal Jehovah, the next step down, he took upon him the form of a servant. 1,000 years later, after he's spoken those words to Moses, I am come down, that same person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the great Jehovah, the eternal Jehovah, says in Philippians 2, 7, that he was made in the likeness of men. So we can see him now on this staircase coming down. And with each step, he steps down lower. And he takes that first step down and he makes himself of no reputation. And then he goes to the next step down and he's made in the form of a servant. And then the next step down, down He's made in the likeness of men. And then the next step down, it's for the suffering of death. And then the final step down for the death of the cross. So it's a staircase that goes one step after another. And he says he's coming down. And that's what he says here in Exodus 3.8. For I am come down to deliver them. And we can see him doing that. Over a thousand years later, the same person, the eternal Jehovah now, he's now called by a new name that we don't know of this name when we see here in Exodus 3 but this new name is Emmanuel or God with us as it says in Isaiah seven fourteen. behold a virgin shall conceive and bring forth the son and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel Emmanuel God together with us our togetherness together with God God with us so he would come down, and then he would be among us, God with us. Over a thousand years later, the eternal Jehovah here in Exodus three eight, as he says to Moses, "I am come down." A thousand years later, he will come down, and this time take on the name of Jesus, as it says in Matthew one twenty one. Why Jesus? The angel explained why: "Thou shalt call his name Jesus." For he shall save his people from their sins, or he shall deliver his people from their sins. I am come down to deliver them, Exodus 3.8. Jesus, for he shall save or deliver his people from their sins. So it's over a thousand years later that the same person, the same person who said to Moses that he was come down to deliver them, now says these words in John 3.13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven, but he that came down. See, Exodus 3, 8, I am come down to deliver them. And the Lord Jesus Christ says in John three thirteen that he is the one that came down from heaven, even the son of man, that's how he called himself, the son of man, which is in heaven. The same person under the name of Jehovah, the eternal Jehovah, the great I am Jehovah, Speaking to Moses when he said, I am come down to deliver them. That same person now, a thousand years later, under the name of Jesus, the Son of Man, says that he has come down from heaven. Only this time, he's speaking as Jesus, the Son of Man. And then he elaborates in John 3 on how he is going to deliver as he has come down. And he says, that he has come down, in Exodus 3, 8, he said he came down to deliver them out of the hand, the yod, the hand of the Egyptians, it says that there, out of the hand of the Egyptians. The word hand, or yod in Hebrew, is oftentimes used for the word power, when later on, the Lord Jesus Christ, speaking as Jehovah, Jehovah Jesus, in the book of Hosea, would say that I will deliver them from the power of the grave. And that's the word hand. I will deliver them from the hand, the yod of the grave. So here... He's speaking, and he said that he came down to deliver them from the hand, and we can say very certainly that is the power of the Egyptians. And so in John 3 13, when he says, No man hath ascended up to heaven but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man which is in heaven. And now he describes in John 3, this most famous passage in the Bible, exactly how he's going to deliver them as he's come down. He says, And as Moses lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him or trust in him, whosoever believeth or trusts in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, then he gets into the question of why this was done. Why did God do this? and he explains in John 3:16 right on he continues on he says i'll tell you why because for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth or trusteth in him should not perish but have everlasting life so he told moses that he was come down to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and then when the lord used those words in exodus 3:8 that he had come down to deliver the Jewish people out of the hand of the Egyptians, we see that his never-changing character, his never-changing purpose, his never-changing goal to come down and deliver man is now spoken by him in the flesh as he explains the how he is going to deliver man from his sins and to bring him up into heaven. So when he referred to bringing Israel out of the land of Egypt, he's going to break the hand, break the power of the Egyptians, then he spoke of bringing Israel or the Jewish people into what he called a good land and a large land. And we know that God's eternal interest is to rescue man, to rescue man from his individual Egypt, from his individual oppression from the individual power of sin that's over each and every one of our lives, and to bring him individually to heaven. Now, what is heaven? Let's think about it. What is heaven? We're all interested to know what heaven is like. And he told us, in essence, what heaven was like in a very wonderful passage in John 14, 1 through 3. This is really a passage about heaven, and he says it like this. He begins off in saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. You know, you put all these verses together, and Yerok almost can put in little words here to bring it together. He says, let not your heart be troubled. How? You believe in God, believe also in me. Why? Should we not let our heart be troubled? Because in my Father's house are many mansions. How do we know? Well, if it was not so, I would have told you. So what are you doing? I go to prepare a place for you. And so what happens then? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. For what purpose? That where I am, there ye may be also. So you look at that sometime. It's John fourteen one through three, with that in mind. So just as when Moses told the Jewish people that they were going to leave their well-known land of Egypt, for better or for worse, Egypt, and go into an unknown world of Canaan, they were anxious about it. I mean, obviously, and they, this gets reflected out, as we'll see later in the book of Exodus. And they had questions as to what this was going to be like and whether it was going to be better. So it is with us when the time comes for us to leave or take our exit from this world, going from the known world that we know and to the unknown world of heaven, there's a measure of anxiety. There's a measure of question about it. What's heaven like? So therefore, his first words as he's looking into our hearts and he sees the anxiety that's there with this idea of dying, He says, let not your heart be troubled. He says, don't let it be troubled. It it reminds me, you know, whenever I used to go sailing, and it's like a jib, the jib sail, the front sail. And uh, boy, when a big wind comes up, if you didn't have those jib lines cinched down, it'll flap in the wind and fly all over the place, and it'll just be totally at the mercy of the wind. And so that's the way it is for us. Our hearts are like a jib sail. And they flap wildly in the wind of trouble. And the way to keep a sail from flapping in the wind is to cinch it down, to secure it. And that's what he means when he said, let not your heart be troubled. Cinch it down, secure it. He was saying to them, they said, cinch down the sail of their heart and not allow the thoughts to run amok, to run uncontrolled, to run into fears, to run into, oh no, and uh, you know, the sky is falling and it's the unknown part about dying. But he says, don't let that happen. Let not your heart be troubled. You know, he says, let not your heart be troubled. Then he realizes we're gonna say, that's not enough that you say, let not our hearts be troubled. There needs to be a basis for controlling our heart. What's the basis for us to not let our hearts be troubled? So therefore, his next statement tells us why we should not let our hearts be troubled. So he says next, you believe in God. You believe in God. And that word means to trust. You trust in God. You rely on God. You put your confidence in God. So trust also in me. Rely on me. Put your confidence in me. In other words, he's saying that, look, you want to know who God is. He says, look at me because I'm God who's become a man. That's what he's saying. And if they found him, the Lord Jesus, to be trustworthy, then they put their trust in him for going to heaven. And then he tells us what we need to know about heaven. What is that? And that is that there is a house in heaven. It's called his father's house. And in his father's house are many mansions. He says there are many mansions. And then he speaks of what he's going to do. And he says, what I'm going to do is that while you're not there, I'm going to prepare. And that's the word. He says I'm going to prepare a place for each and every individual believer or truster or relier or leaner on me. I'm going to do that. And that's the key word there is the word prepare. And that's the key thought also the thought of promise because it's a promise that he's making here. So first we see that he uses this word prepare and we grab a hold of that word prepare and say that's my word. I go to prepare a place for you. What's prepare mean? It means I'm going to make it ready. I'm going to make it ready for you. And that brings us back. And when we really think about this, that takes us all the way back to the first pages in the Bible. The first page of the Bible, which is about creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And in the creation, we look at the creation, and we see it from a different light when we look at the word prepare. Because in the creation, we see God at work, preparing or making a place for man, just like he said. He said, I go to prepare a place for you in John 14. That's exactly what we see God doing in Genesis 1 and 2, preparing a place for you, preparing a place for man. And the creation is all about God preparing a place for man. That's what it's all about. So when we look at John 14 and he says, I go to prepare a place for you, we get the crystallization of what he meant when we read Genesis 1 and 2 in the creation, because we see just that way. Now each day of the creation has great significance. Each day of the creation is something for us to mull on, to meditate on. But let's look at each day of the creation in the context of God preparing a place. Preparing a place, because that's what he said in John 14. I go to prepare a place. Let's look at how he is. What kind of preparer is he? We get to see that from the creation. On the first day of creation, on day one of the creation, God prepared for man. Before he created man, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I'll come again. And then I'll bring you after the place is prepared, see? So before he brought man into the earth, before that, God prepared for man on day one of creation, the earth, a place for man to live in. And God created that place for man to live in called the earth before man was created. And then God created or prepared for man the light. Why? So that man could see, so man could understand that God is the illuminator of truth. Therefore, God created the light in a preparation. Before he brought man onto the earth, he created, the light was there prepared for man. And then God created or prepared for man the darkness. Why the darkness? God says God created darkness. He said that also in Isaiah. The darkness. Why? So that man could understand what God is not. God is not the author of darkness. He's not the author of confusion. He is not a confuser. He is not a deceiver. He doesn't speak with a crooked tongue. He doesn't say one thing and mean another thing. He's not a spreader of falsehood. That's darkness. Now, on this very important first day of creation, when God created the earth, but he created the light and the darkness, God had prepared for man, not just the light and the darkness, but God had prepared for man something very, very important, which was choice. God had prepared for man choice. By creating light and darkness, God had created a choice for man so that man would have before him a choice to be made. By creating light and darkness, God was setting up the situation for man to use his will to choose between light and darkness. And later on, God would step in as his counselor, his wonderful counselor, as it says in Isaiah 9, 6 his wonderful counselor, and he would say in the book of Deuteronomy, I set before you life and death, therefore choose life, God says, choose life, but death is there also, but darkness is there also. So he created the situation for man to make a choice because God was preparing for man a place where man could exercise and strengthen his will to choose God to choose good and therefore to refuse Satan and to refuse evil. If you want, God made a gym for man, a place where man could go and exercise in order to strengthen, not his body, but his will, his strength in his will by having this opportunity to choose between good and evil, between light and darkness between god and satan between life and death and that's what god's all about he's all about creating the situation so that man would strengthen his will man would use his will on his own be strong for god paul emphasizes that a lot later on so when god was going to create man god was going to crown man with the sovereignty of choice God would never use his divine sovereignty to steamroll over man's choice. God would create man, and he hasn't done it yet because we're still in day one of creation, but God would create man with his own ability to choose. And so with the creation of light and darkness, God had created the stage, he set the stage where man would be placed onto and where man alone had to choose between light and darkness and then man alone would have to choose between God and Satan. And therefore, God had a basis for saying, come blessed of my father into the kingdom that is prepared for you, or depart from me that work iniquity. So man would have to choose whether he would love the light and have good deeds, or whether man would love the darkness and have evil deeds. So the earth The light and the darkness were all prepared by God before he created man or brought man in. He had gone to prepare a place for man before he brought him there. That was on day one. What about day two? Day two, the second day of creation, God prepared for man before he created man the heavens or the skies. Why? As so that man could look up into the skies and hope. He could look up and he could look forward. He could look up to and look forward to an eternal place to be with God forever. So That's why it's called the heavens. And God is in heaven. So with the creation of the heavens, God created for man or set the stage for man to have hope. And that's in the heart of man. Hope of spending an eternity with God. Hope of having a good eternity hope of having a safe and secure forever with god and so he created the heavens the skies and so on the first day god created the choice for man and on the second day of creation god created the hope for man and man's not even on the scene yet he has gone to prepare a place for man before he receives him and then the heavens or the skies are prepared then before He creates man now on the third day or day three of creation god prepared For man, again, before he created man, the dry land, or a suitable place for man to live on, the place that man should live on, on the land. And so God prepared the dry land on day three. And then God also prepared on day three the seas, or a beautiful place for man to look at, to gaze on, and God prepared those seas for man. And the beauty of it, the immenseness of it, the different colors as it changes, the reflection of the clouds and so forth. And then also on day three, God prepared for man vegetation, or beautiful things for man to look at, for man to smell, for man to enjoy, and also a food source for man to eat. So on this third day of creation, with a continuing food source, God created for man also a botanic source of wonder and a security of daily plant food provision and so on day three he created all this for man and he did that when he created the dry land the season the vegetation and they were all created on day three before he had brought man in, he had went to prepare a place for man, and that was part of his preparation for man. And now on the fourth day of creation, on day four, God prepared for man again before he brought man into the world, he created for man the sun. The sun, a source of warmth and light for the day, to rule the day, as he said, for man. And also to make the plants grow for man. And God prepared the sun for man. And then God prepared the moon for man as a light for the night for man. And to control the tides of the sea for man. So together, the sun and the moon constitute the clock that god provided for man before he created man in order to indicate to man when he should celebrate his memorial feasts unto god that's what it means when it talks about that he made them as signs in the heavens the memorial feasts to celebrate the goodness of god and because it does man good to celebrate the goodness of god and god prepared all that for man before he brought man in Thank you for joining us today. For more information, go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, or call us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening, and join us again tomorrow at the same time.